it's so great to be with you guys today as we're continuing our series to life. And you are invited into a journey towards beauty, but this is a journey of your heart, of who you are. And this is the journey that God is leading us on. And it is, it is beautiful. It is a better way to live. And so this month, we're talking about what it means to live a life following Christ. And so why would we? Love our enemies and pray for those who try to hurt us. That's the words and instructions that Jesus gave us. Or why would we commit to one another in times where we don't always agree? How do we do that? Or give financially to others and to a church? Why would we do that? Or say something uh, to someone that they need to hear, but it isn't easy for them to hear. But we do that because we love them. But that's not easy to do. Or we receive that word from other people because we trust that God is using them to lead us forward. We, we take steps like that. We embrace discipline with joy because God called us to. Why would we do that? Because we know that these are steps that will lead us to life. There's a way to live that God has called us to and made us to live, that leads us to beauty. And as Christ followers, we declare that we have found a treasure in Christ, not a denomination or a church building or a system that helps me live better, but this is an eternal hope that we have found in a relationship with Jesus, and that is our foundation. And so it's from that foundation that, be, that we make commitments, that leads the actions that we take as we trust Him. And so as we serve one another, that comes from a love from God, an example that He gave to us that He did Himself. And so that's what God has done. And Jesus came over 2,000 years ago. We saw His death and His resurrection. And so we've seen this movement his gathering, his people uh, pursuing and living out their faith now for a long time. And so there's been some time and there's been a lot of, you know, things that have happened in our world. You know, there's been governments and nations rise and fall and, and all these different things. And there's been different ways and expressions to live out our faith through many different cultures and languages. And so just within our own country, we see, you know, what we call Christianity lived out in many different expressions and and, and within different cultures as well, there's, there's many different denominations of how they've decided to structure themselves. And so for almost every one of us, now this is interesting in Jersey City because we come from all over the world here. And if you've born and raised in Jersey City, your family is probably impacted from different regions of the world. And so, so you know, the, it, there's still all that influence in many different ways. But still, every single one of us has has been most likely brought to Christ or in a conversation about God through a local church expression in some way or another because of the time that, it's, that we've had and for that to be established. And so it's quite likely that your view of Jesus has been filtered through the view of his church, and that could be good or bad. And so for many people, you know, that is where we start. Like I, I've shared this story before, friends of ours who were here in the city 
and uh, they, they grew up uh, in, a, in a certain tradition, and, and so they were like, why are you here? Because <laughs> my wife and I were here. We were wanting to start a church, and this was years ago now, and, and I was taking different odd jobs, and it was like, you don't move here to kind of pursue that path. And so they, the Point Blakely says, why are you here? And we were like, well, we are here to start a church. And it was the most weirdest thing for them to hear because their only thought and view of starting a church was one of those massive church buildings that we see, you know, in our neighborhood here and throughout the city. And so they're like, man, <laughs> it was the best reaction. They're like, how, how do you start that? Like, what does that look like? Like, they were like, and we didn't understand what they meant. But we're talking about a people, a gathering of people, and they're thinking, building for people to go into. And so it was, it was a really funny thing that we kind of laughed about together. And so as we engage this series, I want to build upon what we talked about last week. And you don't have to have been here last week to be, to be here. That's, that's good. But I, I want to, to, to kind of show us how we typically do this. So I've got this amazing graphic. Uh, so here we go. You, you can pull this up here. And so we have a left side and a right side here. And so how we typically think about how we view Jesus usually goes through what we call his church. And so for every one of us here, that background, that history is different. You may have never really gone to church at all. I mean, this could be your first one ever, and that's cool. So, um, but you might, you'll have some kind of view of that. And so you go through that church, or maybe you've just seen it from the outside, and you've developed opinions through people that you know that represent that, or through media, or who knows what, political leader even. It's, it's interesting. But through his church, you'll form an opinion about who Jesus is. This isn't every single person's journey, but this is many times how it goes. And so, was it a good experience in your church? Was it kind of middle of the road or bad? Or it was probably both, you know, like, so that can form your opinion of Jesus. So, like, what did you, it was, was great. Were they loving? Were they living their faith that well? Or so you're like, all right, I have a favorable view of Jesus. Or maybe it, it didn't go so good. And that's definitely possible. We are all broken and, and sinful and we struggle. And maybe it was bad theology or just, um, a weird, awkward pastor, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, you know, maybe you do, and so what's interesting about this is that absolutely, for better or for worse, influences your view of who Jesus is. And so one of our hopes here when we started DCC, we started eight years ago, was that we would love people in such a way that it would change their opinion of who Jesus is. And I hope that we can continue to do that here in this city, whether they believe in God or not, or they share the same views of us. You know, we, we, we've seen that happen. We have business leaders here and friends who still never want to step, you know, foot in the doors of a church, but, but their friends are like, I can't believe you're friends with a Christian. Like, and, and we've become friends, and it's changed our view of who God is. And I, I love those moments. So that's typically how it happens. But that's not the way that God designed it. And as we've been engaged in this series, we've seen Jesus. Jesus came to, to point us back to the relationship. And so what really happens is it all starts with 
Christ. So if we look at the what we call the Old Testament Scriptures, the Hebrew Scriptures, it was God's pursuit of us in our brokenness. We'd walked away from Him, but He didn't leave us, and He was engaging us. And it was all pointing towards Christ. It was this great story leading up to His coming to us, and then his, his, eventually His death, which had to happen in His resurrection, which proves that He's God's Son, that He is the that he, but we are made to be eternal, and so everything for us starts with Jesus. And so that's really our first place that we should wrestle with as we pursue God is, is Jesus, did he come, and was he's here, and is he really the Son of God? And so when you look at the written accounts of his life, they were showing us who he was to say, so you need to see this. And so that, you work that out. And you begin to, you know, to pursue that. You begin to read about the written accounts of his life. I mean, you can go deep. You can be skeptical and, and pursue all the different angles. Try to prove that he didn't live or try to prove that he didn't rise from the grave. Those are great pursuits. But what are his words to us? That's one of our hopes here at DCC is to help point you to him. And, and so then you say, well, I believe or I don't, yes or no. And that timeline is 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 different for every person. And so you start with him. And so, yes, I believe that leads to surrender. Or no, we reject God. We say, okay, I don't believe this. And I've seen both happen. I've seen both happen. Some people will come through a church expression or through talking with others and and they're like, well, I just want to see what this is like. This is really interesting. It's almost like a cultural experience. And, and some of them just say, you know what, that was, that was fun. Thanks. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, I encourage you to, I don't think they really wrestle with who Jesus is, but that is for you to pursue and to decide. But if, he's, if, it, if he is who he said that he is, if he is the Son of God, then his his words actually lead us to surrender and committing our lives to God, not living for ourselves, but for Him, because we believe that that is the best thing for us, that He is the beauty that, that we are seeking. He is the one who fulfills us. And so that point of surrender then leads to the commitments we make. And part of that commitment is to a local church family and so part of our, how God's led us, his plan for us is to be part of his body, what we call the church. But if you're rejecting Christ, you go your own way. You pursue something else that you think is better to fulfill you. But that's where we get to our commitments as a church family is we, from that scenario, we commit. Now, what's interesting is both people can believe that God exists, now, the person who rejects God could also be a humanist or naturalist or, or atheist, whatever that might be. But both can say, believe God, but there's not really this place where this person says, I'm, I'm really ready to surrender to Christ. And you can be part of a church family and be part of a church, absolutely. And so what's interesting is how you encounter Jesus can from from many different ways. This is why it's so important to see this. So one is through his local church. And so we can pop that up here. It's one of the ways which you begin to pursue him, and many people do this. 
as they come. And that might be why you're here today is you want to pursue faith. And so you come through a local church and you begin to ask questions about who he is. But that's not the only way. You can also come through others. You can come through other people in your life as they lead, lead you or you talk to them. You might have, you can pop that up too there. So it also comes through other people. It doesn't have to start in this church. That's why we do dinner groups. That's why we do connection events. There, there's many different avenues to start and engage God. It's why we love this city and love the community in different ways. It's one of the reasons why we do that. But you can have a roommate, a coworker, a dream. I don't know. Like There are other ways to begin and ask questions about who Jesus is. It just doesn't have to come from a building. But that's the whole thing. It's actually not a building. It's a people. It's a body. And so for everything for us starts with Christ. And so a church should be pointing you towards Christ. And for us here at DCC, that is our hope. And we don't always do it perfectly, but we want to do that. But it's from that surrendered commitment to Christ that we make the commitments to one another and we make commitments to Christ. And that's key. So we surrender. There's two things that come from this. We surrender and commit to Christ as our Lord. And you can put these two points up here. So from the commitment to Jesus, we surrender and commit to Christ as our Lord. I put boss. Like he's literally saying, I'm, I'm no longer in charge. I've been trying to do that. I'm now pursuing you. And then we submit to one another. We commit to one another because of Christ, because we've realized that that is his design for us. It's the best way for us to live. And so we see scriptures like this, where in Ephesians 5, 21, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We do that because it's what he's called us to do and what he's made us for. He's made us for one another and community. And so you are in God's family. It's his design for you to be part of that. And it's called a gathering of people. That's how Jesus described it. But along the way, through different translations out of the Greek, it got changed to the word church, which really was more of a building. But the word Jesus used was a gathering. You've been, you have been made to be part of his family. So, it's important for us to walk through these things because whether you've been a Christian for a long time or you're, you're not sure even if you believe in God or wherever you are on that spectrum, it's important to remember this. So if you're a follower of Christ, your understanding of God, who He is, and, and your standing with Him and how you engage in relationships many times comes from the foundation upon which you engage Jesus from the beginning. It could have been from a church perspective or it, it could be from your parents and how they pursue God, and they could have been really legalistic and all about these rules, and you struggle with that, and so you pursue God in that way or, or whatever it may be. And so there are things that can get in the way. We have our own sinful nature. And so we want to keep coming back to God in this relationship with Him and let Him do a work in our hearts to help us understand Him more so that we can, we can live in His grace and His freedom and not in condemnation, but take steps to walk towards life and the joy and the depth that Jesus is calling us to, to take steps that aren't always easy. And that's why I've loved engaging this series. And we've been walking through what we call the uh, Sermon on the Mount in just a couple sections of Matthew 5. 
I'm going to take us back to that just a little bit today. Because Jesus' words were pointing us to a problem and a solution and a relationship. And it's amazing. And so we, he began to speak, and this is found in Matthew 5.20, and you can put this up. It says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teacher of the law, the people are trying to, to that were the, the ones that the keeper of the instructions that God had given them, he says, unless your goodness surpasses them, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And he began to present to them a problem and show this to them. And he was actually pointing them to a relationship. He eventually said this bomb, which was a bomb to those listening. He was like, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Which they're like, that's impossible. But he was showing them that trying to keep the rules, none of us can do it. But it leads to significant consequences, and there's something that needs to be done, and that's why Jesus came. And so for us, everything we do starts with Christ. And so I long to point you to him so you can start there with that as your foundation. Now, I'm not perfect, and I'll be willing to admit that, I'm not, and, and, I'm, and we're all together in this. But I hope that I can. So two big things to help guide us today as we move forward. One is this, is that Jesus came to reveal the problem and solve it. That's our first heading today. You can put that up there on the screen. Jesus came to reveal the problem and solve it. And so we, we walked through this last week. Jesus said this statement. He goes, you've heard it said to the people long ago that you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. I love how he started with one that everybody felt like they could accomplish. That's a pretty low bar, okay? And, and so they're like, yeah, but he was like, he says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And he went on to say, like, wait a minute. He's like, do you need to understand the principles of this? Jesus actually raised the bar of what it meant to be okay with God. And what he was showing us was how evil our hearts are. Now, what's interesting is that's a phrase that you don't want to really admit. Because what we do is we like to compare with others. And maybe you find somebody might be a little bit better, like that really lives a good life. And you're like, I'm pretty close to that. That's pretty good. Like, I feel like I'm a pretty kind person. And we love to find someone else who's just blowing it, right? Just like really mad. And we, like, we love to like see politicians and just rage against them because it kind of exonerates us. Like I'm not like him or her. And there's, you know, many examples across any political party. Some of you are like, there are a lot. But see, that's the interesting thing is what really goes in our hearts, if you are willing to examine that, is, is pretty brutal. I mean, this week, I'm standing in line at a cafe. I'm right behind this guy. He came in, like, right before me, and I was meeting some friends, and I'm sitting here, and I look at the food case. I was hungry, so I knew I was going to get an Americano, and I knew I was going to get some kind of pastry, and there were some croissants, and they look really good. There's a plain one. There's two plains. And two chocolates. And I really wanted a chocolate croissant. And I was like, great. So 
There's only one person ahead of me. My decision's made. I'm, I'm not kidding. This guy walks up the counter. He's like, he ordered whatever drink. He goes, ah, oh, you look the good. He's like, those are chocolate croissants. I'll, I'll take both of those. I was like, what? Really? I was a little mad. I, I, I'll tell you right now, if, if this dude's here today, it's really interesting, right? Um, everybody's like, what'd you do? I didn't do anything. I mean, in my heart, I didn't like this guy. I was upset. So I, I had a little bit of a grief going on. I accepted it, and I was like, all right, there's two plain ones. He's like, you know what? As soon as I thought that, I'm not kidding. This, this 100% happened to that. He goes, like, I'll take both those plain croissants. <laughs> and I was so fascinated with myself. I was legitimately angry. And this is a croissant. I mean, come on. And there were other things in the pastry case I didn't want. There's so many options. I'm so selfish. And I like, and so I was just contemplating. I literally did. I was just thrown off. I did not know what I wanted to do. And it was my turn really soon. And I told them, and I was like, man. And I just kind of vented this out loud. I was like, man, I was really looking for that chocolate croissant. And I was like, I don't know. Like, and then the guy was like, oh, I think we've got more. And he pulls out this bucket with all the pastries. And he's like, yeah, I've got it. I'm like, oh, great. I'm like, how terrible. Like, like I, I observed. I'm, I'm, in this, I'm in this conversation with you. And, like, it's amazing, like, how angry we can come over the littlest things. But it's worse than that. Like, the, oh, by the way, the owner came up right then with the friends that were with me. They're like, he was like, hey, I want to introduce you to this person. And I'm like, man, I was feeling like anger and all this stuff, and here I am. And, but I, it was just a tiny thing. You know, I'm not like, you guys are like, man, you got some issues. No, but it's, I'm just fascinated with how I felt. But, but we, we do worse. Like, you, your mind is filled with these crazy thoughts in the week and, like, not great things about certain politicians or your boss or how angry you can be at someone you love a lot, your wife, your husband, your children. You have lustful thoughts towards other people. And the things that we do driving down the road to other people when you're by yourself, if you one day had to have all of that, every thought that you have and wish and things that you yelled out loud when nobody was around put in front of others. How would that look? We'd like to say, I'm, I'm a really kind person, but, but, but really we're just trying to find reasons to hide all of those things. We bury it. We bury it. And that's not easy to hear. And, and in fact, we might even think, oh God, why can't God just leave me alone? Like I'm, I'm, I'm good enough. I'm not murdering. Like, but that actually would be unloving. It's a fascinating thing to, to think about. That it would be unloving for God to leave you in a place in a condition that's going to lead you to ruin and death. And he wants to step in and love you. One way to think about this, there are many different angles, and this will sound strange, but it's how we love like an animal. And if you were to rescue a dog, and, and, and some of you love to do that, and so, you know, you just think about, like, if you have a dog that's, like, got some issues and it's been hurt or it's, it was, like, maybe off the street and it's dirty, you wouldn't leave it dirty. 
you would get it cleaned. You would check it to see it had anything, and you would have it have shots and things that, that the dog wouldn't like at the time, but it would eventually get clean. And then you would begin to feed it good food, and you would teach it not to bite other people. That's not a great thing. And you would train it, and, and those things wouldn't necessarily be easy for the dog, but eventually the dog would love that because it, loves, it would get to be happy and love you. And this, this whole side of the dog gets loved out of it. You would not leave that animal in that condition. If you had the opportunity, you would care for it. And you see the benefits and it's a joy to pour into that. And, and God is similar. that He is loving us and giving us. And it might sound egotistical for a God to say, come and follow me. But that's all that he does is give. He's perfect. He is loving. He is love. He is life. And so the only position that he has with us is to give out. It's completely, it's not it's not selfish of him to say, come follow me. It's only unselfish to pursue us and to love us. And he wants to rescue us and pull us away. And that's what he has done. And so a key part of our surrender to Christ and our surrender to God is coming to terms with who we are, being willing to admit that we need him, that we need forgiveness, and there needs to be a way. And Jesus came to show us that, hey, you've had anger in your heart that leads you to, you are subject to judgment. And so that's really hard for us to hear. But it's at that very moment that he didn't leave us there, that he said, I came to fulfill this. And so in Matthew 5, 17, he says, this is how we start this conversation. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law, get rid of these things. No, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That could sound condemning, but what's amazing is it was the opposite. They just didn't know, those who were following him, they didn't know how he was going to fulfill it. And that's the beautiful part. They didn't know how it was going to happen. And then they watched it take place. And he kept telling them how, but they didn't believe it. He just, they just thought it was another, like, theoretical story that represented something. But he kept saying, I'm going to die. And it's the gospel writers, or the writers that wrote in the accounts of his life are, are fascinating because they kept showing how many times he said that, and they, were, they just were clueless. He's like, I'm going to die. In three days, I will rise from the grave to take care of it. He came to show us we had a problem and to solve it. And so John 19, it says right at Jesus' death, he had been crucified. His followers were scattering, and they're just waiting. Even at his death, they kept talking about maybe he's Elijah, maybe he's this former prophet. He's going to come back and do something miraculous. And he's up there, and he had been brutally beaten. And he's dying. And then he says this. He says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, and this is a fascinating phrase, something was finished. There was a purpose. He said, to fulfill the Scripture, and all this had been prophesied hundreds of years before in detail. He said, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine in a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. 
You can put that scripture up there. It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit, meaning he died. What was finished? He took on our sin. He had to die. He came to fulfill the law. Our actions receive death. We have walked away from life and gone our own way. He came not to condemn us, but to take that punishment for us and to fulfill it. And at the time, they didn't know what was happening. Those that were his followers watched him die, and they were devastated. But then three days later, just like he said, the resurrection happened, and they were surprised and blown away. And suddenly, in that moment, all the words of Jesus came true, and they, they began to, you know, believe in him. They saw the resurrected Jesus, and they're like, we believe you. Yes, you're the Son of God, and absolutely, that's amazing. And so, if, if, if there was no resurrection, then Jesus' words did not matter. He wasn't just a good teacher, because his words were completely dependent upon who he was. However, if it is true, then his words matter a lot. And then our actions cut to the heart when we realize that it caused him his death, that he took this upon himself. And this is the point of surrender where we realize how we need him. And this is such a key point. And so in the, after this, after Jesus' resurrection, he ascended into heaven and he sent us out to be this church, to be this gathering and this people. And his, his disciples who were in hiding and devastated suddenly stepped forth and just a couple weeks later completely changed where they were afraid of the government were now standing boldly in front of them proclaiming. And, G, and Peter was one of the first ones and begins to speak to this huge crowd that had gathered for a festival. He was talking about what happened with Christ. And we'll pick up in the middle. He says, therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified. Like, this has just happened. He says, both Lord and Messiah. Here was this group of people that were looking for the Messiah. And he's like, hey, you killed him. He's just saying it right in front of them. And they would have been like, yeah. He says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They're like, what do we, they're like, what do we do? And so there's this place where we, we feel like we stand condemned. And that's what the beauty and the treasure that I've been talking about the series that we found is that it's in that very moment that we find forgiveness in life. And so Peter began to ex- explain this to them. And he continues, he says, he says, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, God living in you what that means. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And he continues, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Then those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. There's a lot of people. And it's such a beautiful message where you did this. But Christ came to reveal the problem and be the solution. And this was God showing us. Jesus shared a story from Luke 15. He says, this is a story that he shared about our pursuit of God and his love for us. 
He says this, but in the story, there was a, we've heard the story called the prodigal son, and he had taken everything that the father had given him and just blown it in a, a horrible way. Flipped off the father, said F you, and went after his own way. That's about a nice way of saying it. He was like, I've got to come back. And he came back to be a servant. He's in this place of condemnation with the father. And in Luke 15, Jesus didn't say those words, by the way, but it's, it's how the people received it. Okay. Some of you are like, okay. He says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was ready to shoot him, beat him. No, he was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son had rehearsed his speech. The son said, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe. All of this represented significance. A robe, put it on him, ring, put it on his finger, and sandals on his feet. You belong. He forgave him. And then they threw a party. He said, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a, a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and found. So they began to celebrate. This is why Jesus came for us to walk from condemnation to celebration. That's the treasure we've found. He's the only one that could do this. So that's our second point today, is that Jesus is the only one who is able to forgive and cancel sin. It's not arrogant for him to have said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He, Jesus said, I am the only way to come back to God. He is the only one who is able to forgive and to cancel sin. And that's why we love him so much and believe in him and, and sing the words that we do because he is the fullness of God. And that is the beauty of pursuing him. And those who were his early followers found this treasure. They were like, he just rose from the grave. Yeah, we believe in you. Absolutely. But then they begin to live this life out. They realize that he made a way for them to be okay with God and they can go to him and to grow and to live this out. And so we see the, all these passages of Scripture. In Colossians, it says this, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete in your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler in authority. Because of Christ, you are complete. He is the beauty that you are seeking, the fulfillment that you're trying to find. I have these words for you. A bunch of words on the screen. These are just some of the things that God is. He is beauty. He's forgiving. He understands. He's our strength. He's dependable. He's holy. He's gentle. He leads with purpose. Like the scripture is full of these characteristics of God. Like He is slow to anger, and part of the beauty of being made righteous by God is that we don't have to worry about being okay with Him, and then it's just about the relationship. He's calling us to be like Him. So now we go to Him. The Christian life starts with surrender, and it's lived out becoming like 
him. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to jump into that, about the commitments that we make are by that. But first today was about the foundation, a place of surrender. That's our starting point. So where are you at on that journey? If you're a Christ follower, how can you step towards him to engage him with your life? And if you're on that journey, I want to encourage you to pursue him. If you want to know more about what it means to follow him, put that on the back of your connection card. We'd love to engage that conversation with you today. I want to end with this. This is 1 Peter. This is just this expression of the joy that we found and the treasure that we found in Christ. It says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness in your faith, which is greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. There's such purpose and joy in the pain that we experience. As though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. That's a treasure. That even though things were really bad, and they were for those who were reading this, they found this joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Eventually says in verse 13, it says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he called you as holy, be holy in all that you do. And that's just so similar to the words of Jesus. Be holy, not because you can achieve it, but because he has. And it's this journey towards him. He says, for it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. There's purpose in how we live. For now, for you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from that empty way of life and handed down to you from your ancestors, but was, it was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him... You believe in God who, was raised, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. That is the hope that we stand upon. Not me, not a denomination or a church, but in God because of what Jesus has done. You are invited to follow and surrender to him. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your words to us. And this hope that we have in 
you. And so the words that we see are an invitation to life. The instructions that we have are to lead us to beauty. I pray today that wherever we are at in this journey, that we will begin to trust you and trust your heart for us and take steps towards beauty to fullness so that we can believe and have hope in all things, even in pain. Father, I thank you for that promise. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.